This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the November 20th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am again your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we are talking to Patrick Doherty, who's an NFL writer for Roto World and NBC Sports. He's one of the best fantasy football minds around. He's been producing top content for years, delivering it all with that hilarious sense of humor. He's an automatic follow on Twitter at RotoPad. It can't be any easy to remember. Fantastic expert to have on the mailbag here for week 12, which may just be the most important week of the fantasy season. Pat, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back on the fantasy football mailbag. It's my pleasure and just far too kind of an introduction. Uh, It might be the best part of the job is the podcast introductions people have to give for you, um, where you 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 get praised as like the you know, like the president or something. I feel uh, that, was, that, was, that was way too kind, basically. <laughs> well, that, that gives you carte blanche then to be right or wrong because we got yeah, the nice opening, true. so that's it doesn't true. matter. Yeah. You know, we already praised you. Uh, that's true. Pat, I've been following you for a long time. Great work, of course. Rotoviz, NBC Sports for a while. Follow you on Twitter. You have great analysis. I see your mug on TV as well, everywhere. I've asked every expert that's come on, how did you get your start in both? And what advice would you give new writers, fantasy football data lovers about how to get your you know get your your foot in the door there to get started well my like kind of like contrarian anti-advice is that there's no like one there's there's no such thing as like silver bullet advice of course like everyone's path is like so weird and unique and different and uh you know it's always just basically going to be a mixture of hard work and like happenstance and uh, I went to J- the Missouri- University of Missouri Journalism School. Uh, I pers- so I pursued I pursued writing like I officially pursued writing. Uh, was just always obsessed with sports and writing, basically. And then I, you know, made an official pursuit of it in college. And you know, so oh, it was always reading, always writing. And then got a job with Fanball right out of college, which is was defunct for a while and is now revived and. So basically got my start there, but it went out of business after I was there for 18 months. Um, but thankfully I had, uh, you know, acquired just enough experience. And this is where the happenstance, happenstance comes in. Uh, I was in a fantasy baseball league uh, with Evan Silva, oh. who, was a, who was a friend of a friend of a friend. Evan is from St. Louis, uh, which is where I am born and raised and still based and so I had like a very loose connection to Evan Silva, and I had by then already worshipped Roto World. You know, my company, you know, was like going out of business, and I just sent him a message like, "Yo, uh, any chance you guys need some help?" And they did. I did a test shift like two days later, and I never even like formally interviewed or anything, and kind of the rest was history. So I mean, honestly, like a lot of luck. I mean, the fact that I had some sort of Evan Silva connection, but I wouldn't have been able to do the job if I hadn't basically been grinding for 18 months at fanball so yeah i don't know it's got it it's always gonna be a mixture of hard work and luck and hopefully uh the hopefully the luck uh is not in short supply for you basically yeah and the key is to get after it you know you saw an opening you took a shot you go after people always ask me just keep writing guys keep writing about it applying if you get rejected who doesn't get rejected you know like keep after it yeah and you get the right connection right a door can open 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I would say a boiler, a, not boilerplate, but advice I give everybody too is just uh, to make sure you're like reading as much as you're writing. Uh, to, to me, my writing, I feel like it's almost. To improve as a writer, it's just as important to be reading a ton as it is writing a ton because I think you kind of like pick up some stuff through osmosis, not just reading fantasy content, like talking about our little particular lens, but just like read as much as you possibly can. I think that helps improve your writing in probably ways you don't realize, just the little things you pick up along the way. And uh, so, yeah, always be writing, always be reading, and then, yeah, you know, hopefully someone notices you. Well, Pat, I'm going to start with an easy one here. I'll give you a softball, if you will. Who's the NFL MVP this season? Is that really a softball, Mike? <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Pull the pin, roll the grenade. Nope. Uh, you know, obviously, it's Michael Thomas. I'm just a receiver. It's the most valuable <laughs> position in fantasy or in the NFL. And uh, no, I mean, I th- I think it's Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I've said it was Russell Wilson at different points this season. I maybe at some points thought it was Deshaun Watson, but you know, Lamar. Just the combination of everything he's doing. So, you know, just the dominant play, but then dominant play, like in a form like that we really haven't seen before. You know, first quarterback in NFL history to rush for 60 yards in seven straight games. And just showing so many, just beating teams so many different ways. You know, the explosive passing, explosive passing plays coupled with the explosive running plays. I mean, he's having a stretch really that not even like Michael Vick ever had. Um, and, uh, you know, who's the, the greatest dual threat of the 21st century so far in the obvious comparison. He's doing things that not even Michael Vick ever did. And, you know, his team is clearly the heartbeat and captain of his team, too. And I think it's going to be neck and neck between him and Russ down the stretch. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Jackson has has changed the game this year. Uh, beating the Patriots was a big one for me. Listen, Russ was great for a while, but the team's success here, I think a lot of his peaking at the end of the season, and the Ravens certainly are here. So I'm with you. I, I, I think it's Lamar. Yeah, and Russ, you know, it's unfortunate. Russ just might get held back by things beyond his control, you know, the play calling, and uh, he's he maybe just not getting showcased as effectively as he could be. Uh, you know, so much of this is narrative-based and all that, and and uh, so Russ certainly has time to maybe kind of retake the lead. But, yeah, just the combination of how well Lamar is playing and how unique he's been just kind of puts him over the top for me right now. Well, Pat, it's week 12 of the fantasy football season. This is the deep stretch, if you will. I'm always looking back, thinking about the big hits and the misses from the preseason. So I'm curious, give me two of your big hits, two of the guys who you kind of said in the preseason, I know how this is going to play out, either good or bad, and it worked out. And then give me one player here who is your big miss. I I have mentioned this a couple weeks now. It's been Dede Westbrook. I fell in love with Westbrook for me in the preseason. You know, maybe the Foles injury threw it off. I don't know. But Chark's been great. That's one of my, my many, if you will. So, Pat, give me two hits and a miss here from uh from preseason yeah with Didi, you might have just gotten screwed by kind of the unforeseen rise of D- dj shark you know which uh, would yeah, have been true. very tough to see coming uh, some i guess we kind of saw it coming but yeah i was loved Didi too uh i mean i guess i, I mean i uh the, the player i was most closely associated with over the summer was kyler murray uh hopefully i was right about that i mean oh, yeah I think, for sure i think i was right uh it was kind of lean for a while uh you know as a you know as a supposed expert um I took kind of a unique strategy of getting going all in on a quarterback. You know, not usually uh, what you usually a fantasy expert wisely yeah, will say if there's one position they're probably not going to fall in love with, you know, it's quarterback because it's so deep and the value is so immense late. But I basically had almost 100% shares of Kyler in my season long. Well ladies. done. And, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's been really paying off lately. I am surging in a lot of leagues where I got off to a slow start. So, I thought Kyler would be a special player, especially a special fantasy player. Hopefully right about that. Uh, it's kind of the same way about Aaron Jones. I had him ranked real aggressively all summer. Um, yeah, there was a lot of very smart people concerned that he'd get kind of committified, committeeified, which he has. Um, but kind of just his, you know, his, his explosive playmaking abilities has kind of outweighed that. And I thought he would be kind of a mid range RB one. Basically I had him more ranked as like, and like the wider RB six to eight range, where I think his ADP was probably more like 10 to 12, maybe even 12 to 14. I can't even really remember at this point, but basically I thought Aaron Jones would be a special player and uh, more or less has been uh, the, the two, I'm two, I would say most strong on, uh, one I'll kind of give myself a free pass on was Vance McDonald. Uh, did not foresee. Yeah, that's been, been so frustrating. Absolutely. Yeah. 
did not see foresee Ben Roethlisberger essentially blowing out his elbow. That's been a huge blow. Um, and it, this one, it's not like he's been a total bust, but I thought Mark Ingram would be more involved in the passing game. Basically, I thought Mark Ingram would be more of like a kind of in like the RB eight to twelve range. I thought he'd be kind of like a life hack RB one, where instead he's been he's been a very good RB two, but he's been more you know that kind of RB fourteen to eighteen range all week and all season and I kind of thought he'd be in like that RB eight to 12 and I have almost a hundred percent shares of Mark Ingram in season long too, which is again, mostly been fine. Um, but I kind of had higher expectations basically. You know, the one that frustrates me is Latavius Murray. I thought Murray would get more run with the saints. And of course, once I get off the ship, I trade him, I dump him. Then, you know, Kamara gets hurt and then Murray comes in and he rips it up. I just, I felt like they wouldn't trust Kamara with that large of a snap share, but for most of the year they did. And, and Murray, when Kamara's there has been pretty much useless. Yeah, no, uh, Latavius just hasn't had that kind of standalone, which, you know, the Saints had made the two-back thing work. And, you know, like you said, Latavius really, until the injury, just didn't have that standalone value. And then last week, uh, it didn't appear to. So, yeah, you might be in trouble there again. <laughs> There have been a lot of major fantasy disappointments this year. So players we were high on that have underachieved. So I want to get your take on a couple of players here and whether you think they can turn it around last few weeks of the fantasy season, sort of get hot, and then maybe over the next couple of weeks really pay off for people who either pick them up or have them on the bench. Uh, might I ask you, in looking at your, your Twitter timeline, about Chargers quarterback Phillip Rivers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might have been a little tilted by him last night, even though I wasn't playing him anywhere. Uh I was just basically mad at Philip Rivers for this. How could he do that? Like, how could he be this bad the past two weeks? And, uh, yeah, you know, I may have said some things. So I compared him to Jameis Winston, basically, as you probably saw. Um, I basically said, what if Jameis Winston, but with 15 years of excuses and people saying he's a Hall of Famer, uh, which is, of course, fantastic. (laughs) Of course, Philip Rivers is a far better player than Jameis Winston ever has been or almost certainly ever will be. But this, why why does it have to be like this? <laughs> just like, why is it always like this with Phillip Rivers? I just don't get it. And uh, I mean, he was like hysterically bad against the Raiders. Um, I thought he looked a little better against the Chiefs. Uh, but, you know, the Yeah, better the than outcome, the Raiders. Raiders was terrible. Yeah, the Raiders game, I, he was just like, it was Honestly, it was like he was like throwing the game. Like it was crazy. He was just, just god awful against the Raiders. Um, and you, from fantasy, I mean, what a disappointment. He's had one, he's thrown for more than two touchdowns one time all season. Just hasn't had any spiked weeks. He's had kind of a higher floor than he did last year when the running game was really going nuts for the Chargers. But just no ceiling whatsoever this year. And yeah, the interception. I, I just don't, I just don't understand why it's like this with Phillip Rivers. I think the next one is a hangover from seeing ghosts. Jet Sam Darnold. I, I think he's in a prime spot here to have a good end of season. I know Adam Gaze, the eyes from the interview, the whole thing. And then Darnold, of course, has really struggled in a couple of those games, but he's looked better. He has a good schedule. Home against the Raiders this week. What do you think about Darnold rest of the season? You know, everyone, yeah, everyone has you know correctly been talking about how soft the Jets schedule is, but I still just – I kind of just ultimately fear – that, you know, when you're talking good matchups, I just still kind of feel like he'll end up being the good matchup for the struggling defense as opposed, you know, to the good, the bad, the struggling defense being a good matchup for him. You know, he finally has strung together, you know, two decent fantasy performances, but I just think, you know, he's got kind of like a bit of the Jameis Winston syndrome. When, when you see a player turns the ball over so much in college, that just rarely changes in the NFL. And that has been the case so far for Sam Darnold. And I think he could be like Jameis where he'll have some big fantasy days, but then just kind of some inexplicable duds. And uh, the, the Raiders defense, especially, you know, the Raiders is a great match on a paper. The Raiders, though, can kind of you know, play keep away and maybe really limit his volume. And then maybe I'm assuming the Raiders will be playing with a lead. And, you know, when Sam Darnold's playing from behind – yeah, that's that's you know that's turnover time um, for like a turnover prone quarterback. So it's pretty hard to argue. It's hard. He won't screw up week thirteen, which is against the Bengals. I don't see how he could screw that one up. Then he's got the Dolphins in week fourteen. But I just I'm still not all the way in on Sam Darnold. Is like a you're not saying he's foolproof, of course, but I'm just not all the way in on Sam Darnold as like a foolproof streamer. No matter even though the schedule is so soft. 
What about one of these end of the first round busts so far? Joe Mixon of Cincinnati. We saw some life out of him against the Raiders, scored a touchdown. Joe Mixon, even on a Bengals team that doesn't have a win, can they possibly turn it around? Yeah, I think Joe, what we're seeing is for real the past two weeks. I'm getting some pretty some pretty like heavy 2016 Chip Kelly 49ers vibes. And when I say that, uh, like there's been other teams that have done this, of course, but the 2016 49ers, um, basically the, the game game situation did not matter. They were running the ball no matter what, like even if they were down three touchdowns and just getting very similar vibes uh, from the Bengals over the past two weeks with Joe Mixon and I think that uh, this could be famous last words. Uh, you know, my good friend and former colleague Evan Silva said earlier in the se- early in the season to I don't know I don't think I'd ever heard him say this. To he said to sell low on Joe Mixon, <laughs> and well, uh, yeah, was definitely high, right. Sell low, right, right. Yeah, he said sell low on Joe Mixon, and he was definitely right because uh, he said that like two months ago, and you know he hadn't done anything until two weeks ago, but. I do think, yeah, the, the, the Bengals have just decided it doesn't matter what the game situation is. They're going to run no matter what. And somebody I was high on, I bombed this week. I really expected a breakout game from Traquan Smith. He came back. He ran a lot of routes against the Falcons there. And then, of course, got shut out here. Traquan Smith in a very shallow you know, wide receiver target group there, besides Michael Thomas out in New Orleans. Can he rebound and get a couple wide receiver three weeks in here as we get to the fantasy playoffs? It's weird because it is shallow, but then it's like so well defined. You know, like you know, every week Michael Thomas is going to get ten to fifteen targets, and it's looking like you know Alvin Kamara is going to get eight to ten targets every week. And then you know Traquan with kind of the redundant skill set to Ted Yen. It's like which one of them might go off this week, and you know even Jared Cook now reemerging a little bit. Um, so Traquan is definitely uh, could be a, a spiked week guy, but. I don't think he's someone like that'll be ranking as in like a a spot that suggests like a blow up week and uh, it's basically someone that will be still very hard for me to have any trust in even even in like a good matchup down the stretch just because the the high there's two guys with such locked in high target floors ahead of him and then with with Gen who's just doing similar things to him it's just uh, I just feel like I won't be able to see the spiked week coming basically with Traquan Smith. I got a question here from a Marlon Mack owner. So now what do I do with Mack? Do I pick up Jonathan Williams, Jordan Wilkins? Do I pivot on to Naeem Hines? Basically, I I guess the question is, Hines is going to play on those passing downs. Clearly, he's not getting a ton of the goal line work unless they're in a passing set. Uh, Jonathan Williams got over 100 yards when he came in for Mack, who had 100 yards before he exited. Jordan Wilkins has been the guy in the past. So I guess, you know, handicap the Colts for us here. What do you think about their backfield? I guess if he he plays... uh, it has to be Jordan Wilkins, I guess. I mean, Jonathan Williams, it's frustrating. You kind of, you know, you want, you want, we want Jordan Wilkins to be healthy. We want all players to be healthy, but it would certainly be nice if he had sat out this week um, because it would be much easier to predict, but it's kind of looking like he'll play. And if he plays, you know, I feel like it has to be him. I mean, Jonathan Williams, I believe had two touches all year before last week. And, you know, if they're kind of rushing Jordan Wilkins back, you'd have to assume it would be probably to start. And uh, maybe not. I mean, clearly Jonathan Williams is going to be involved, even if Jordan Wilkins plays and gets the start. But I'll just, I guess, I'd have to lean. Uh, so if they both play, you know, they're both be like very like uncertain flex options. But I, I think I'll have Jordan Wilkins higher in the rankings. And Naheem Hines just talk about a disappointment because I just don't really expect his role to change. Um, someone who all year you know had all these injuries around him, so many injuries in the Colts passing game, and he just can't seem you know, to get more passing production. He's cleared four catches once, 40 yards once. Yeah, it's the same. He's had just uh, kind of a dream setup for a pass-catching back. When you have that many receivers injured, you think the running back, especially a pure pass-catching back, will get more targets, and it just hasn't happened for him. So I'm I'm going to be low low on Naheem Hines this week. Question here from a Panthers fan. The question is, what do you do in Dynasty with Cam Newton? So Cam Newton's been out all year. Dynasty value moving forward. Do you think he'll be there? If he goes, does he go to the Bears? Who knows? Does They want to know, should I be getting rid of Cam Newton? Or is this somebody in my other Dynasty leagues that should be possibly looking to acquire on the low, buy low, if you will? It's an interesting question. Um, 
my gut is it'll probably still be the Panthers starter, but you know, they haven't exactly worked hard to beat back the narrative that they might be moving on from him. There hasn't been like a very forceful pushback by them to kind of, you know, that innuendo that's been coming out of there. So, but I still think he'll probably be the Panthers starter next year. Um, but you know, in dynasty, well, he's on the wrong side of 30 now. Uh, it's kind of, so to speak with, with quarterbacks in dynasty, there's kind of, you know, quote arrested development. There's kind of always money in the banana stand. You can always uh, find a what quarterback. What a drop there. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can always find, you know, a Josh Allen, uh, a Gardner Minshew somewhere. So I just probably, especially someone on 30 and now two lost years to injury, I'd probably not be pursuing Cam Newton. Uh, just cause it's just not, it's just not a high priority enough position in dynasty. Um, maybe if you can get him for like you know, total peanuts, like your final rookie draft pick or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, even though I think he'll probably be back and starting for the Panthers next year is most likely outcome. I just don't see a ton of upside in pursuing him just because quarterback is, it's just so easy to find in dynasty. Well, Pat thinks the Panthers are going to stick with Cam Newton, and somebody I'm sticking with with the holidays is UntuckIt.com. Holidays are almost here. We need those gifts, and what better way to give a gift to someone than to use a stylish shirt? I love getting those myself that fits just right. Unlike all those brands out there, these Untucked shirts are designed to be worn untucked, so they fall at just the right length, which I like no matter the size, casual and sharp. Have you ever seen an untucked button down? They always look bad because they weren't meant to be worn that way, so so thankfully, Untuck It is the original button-down shirt designed to be worn untucked. With the holidays near, there's really no better gift for someone out there. As a guy, I'm always asking my wife for them as well. I compare Untuck It to a lot of what's out there in the stores. I hate going to the stores. I get them delivered to me. There's 50-plus fit combinations. They look great, tall, short, slim, athletic, whatever you have out there. I love the material, the designs. You can find Untuck It style online or check out one of those brick-and-mortar stores if you are someone who likes to go to the stores there. With Untuck It, these shirts don't look baggy, bulky, long, or big. The website's super easy to use. They have a whole page devoted to helping you find that fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, sort of relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is clearly the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com. That promo code, folks, BLUE, 20% off. You're not going to regret it. Untuckit.com. Pat, there's four teams on a bye this week. Cardinals, Chargers, Chiefs, Vikings. I do a waiver wire piece for Action Network, and I want to get your thoughts on some of those players who are out there. They're available in 50% of Yahoo leagues. Can they come up here and make a difference? I'm going to start Darius Geis. Finally got a touchdown. It was on a screen pass. Adrian Peterson's there, of course, but he's old. What do you think? Darius Geis, rest of season, worth a flyer? Yeah, I think I'm adding. I think Darius Geis kind of have some kind of unknown upside as a flex. You know, basically the only big play for the Redskins last week. Uh, Chris Thompson still maybe he'll resume practicing this week, but Chris Thompson's still nowhere to be found. And you know, Adrian Peterson got the the kind of nominal start last week, but then it was basically a rotation. And I feel like even the Redskins can't screw this up. Even the Redskins are going to want to see what Darius Geis has down the stretch. So you're not going to get like RB two numbers out of him, but Darius guys could be a guy who like you might, you know, I have no idea what his floor is, but you can plug him into his flex and, you know, maybe, maybe some ceiling will develop. So I I like Darius guys as an ad uh, for the final few weeks of the regular season. One of the best handcuffs in the entire fantasy landscape is Gus Edwards, because if Mark Ingram gets hurt, Gus Edwards is going to step into it. But last week, against the Texans, a tough run defense, he actually started producing on his own, had a nice long run there as well. What do you think about Gus Edwards? I mean, is it if they're in a game, I guess, Pat, that we think they're going to blow the opponent out, is he worth a flex? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He needs, like, that closeout game script and uh the problem with for gus edwards is he is an elite elite handcuff as you said but you know only two weeks left in the fantasy regular season uh it's a lot of times like keeping a flex who doesn't really have standalone value or keeping a handcuff i should say who doesn't really have standalone value it's kind of like just a luxury that most teams can't afford and if you really need a roster spot um like, you know, so, you know, if you're fighting for the playoffs, you want to be maximizing your roster on a weekly basis. And Gus Edwards, 
as like as as a handcuff. This, this, there's not enough standalone value there for. Uh, to me, I would I could almost consider him a drop. You know, if you like desperately need a roster spot, you know, if you're sitting pretty headed for a buy, you can keep him stashed for a few more weeks. But he's going to need that closeout game script, and it's just, it's hard to see coming. You know, like uh, some some weeks will be easy to see coming, but you know, we didn't we wouldn't have seen that coming against the Texans. You know, and it just kind of happened. So. Uh, it's it's weird because yeah I, I want to have him on my team but I wouldn't consider him a must hold you know if you're like desperate to clear a roster spot. What about if you need a wide receiver? Cowboys Randall Cobb. Uh, you know Cooper is sometimes getting a ton of coverage, a ton of focus for the defense, justifiably so because he has a tiptoe catch. It seems like every half of every game. But Randall Cobb sort of popped here. He's getting touchdowns. He's getting a hundred yards here. Has done had a real nice job last two weeks. Now they're facing New England. You know New England's going to focus on Cooper. You know New England's going to focus on Ezekiel Elliott. So what about Randall Cobb here going down the stretch in the fantasy playoffs? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because this one I feel like kind of came out of nowhere. The Randall Cobb had basically been left for dead in back-to-back hundred-yard games. Um, it is. I, I feel like I just. I still might be fading because. Uh, like so against the Patriots, like you said, the tough pass defense can almost be a good thing for him because they'll be zeroed in on Amari Cooper and, and Zeke and Michael Gallup even. Um, but just in general, it's a tough pass defense schedule for the the Cowboys. There's the Patriots, the Bills, uh, the Bears, who don't really necessarily have imposing corners but still limit passing production, and then the Rams. Um, it's it's just – so he could – with his better teammates being the focus, you know, he could end up – being like the the beneficiary of that, having big days, it's just feel like that's a hard formula to really rely on in fantasy. And I just still, even with the hundred yard games, I have a hard time believing Randall will kind of graduate beyond you know at most like wide receiver four status. We talked about tight ends prior to uh, recording this, but I was looking through the tight ends and I'm trying to find somebody, and all of a sudden Jacob Hollister pops up, and I'm like, wait a minute here, Jacob <laughs> Hollister's got scores in consecutive games. He's coming off a bye, and you always love those players on the waiver wire who people may forget about. Jacob Hollister, tight end one, low end, any chance, Pat? Well, it would be, but you know, it's just the Seahawks. It's like every time you think you have something on the Seahawks figured out, they kind of, they they change the script. They they just they never make anything easy. And so we finally we have these two back to back big games from Jacob Hollister, massive red zone usage, and then this being the Seahawks. Now all of a sudden Ed Dixon is returning this week, and we have no idea what kind of effect that might have on the targets and the Seahawks tight end core. And then, you know, now you have the Seahawks with a vastly improved uh, number three spot where they've turned Jerron Brown and David Moore uh, into Josh Gordon. So it's just kind of like, <laughs> just as we think, oh, Jacob Hollister is emerging, the Seahawks kind of throw in a bunch of variables. And to me, this, this, this keeps me cautious uh, with Jacob Hollister and just going to keep him as kind of like a boomer bust uh, tight end too. Pat, what's your favorite American band of all time? That's a really. This is like one of the the toughest American debates, isn't it? Because uh, uh, Pat Fitzmaurice started it weeks ago. He was the second person I interviewed this year. Put it out there, and it's gone like wildfire. So I've asking. I'm asking everyone. I've heard Pearl Jam. I've heard Aerosmith. I've heard Tom Petty. I've heard. Uh, gosh, somebody said Johnny Cash. I mean, there's options out there. There's a lot of options. I might give too many answers. Uh, just like true band, especially from the classic rock era, I might actually say The Grateful Dead. Um, I'm not like a deadhead, but I do really like The Grateful Dead. I was never like a dead collector or anything like that. Um, my favorite musician of all time is Stephen Malkmus from Pavement. And Pavement's oh. one of the most legendary indie rock bands ever. He's like my favorite artist ever. I'm super into his solo career. I mean, Pavement wasn't like a, a huge band, you know, like uh, they're huge in indie circles, but, you know, they wouldn't probably, you know, in terms of like mainstream appeal, I guess they couldn't really get into that debate. Um, in terms of modern bands, you know, I might say uh, the White Stripes. I love Jack White. I loved the oh, White Stripes. Tremendous. Uh, You're hitting some big yeah, ones huge. here. Yeah. So from the classic rock era, I'll say the dead. Uh, the past 25 years, I'll probably say the White Stripes. Question here from a listener. If one of these disappointing players were to have a huge fantasy stretch drive, who do you think would pop? Dede Westbrook in Jacksonville, Robbie Anderson on the Jets, Marquez Valdez Scanling with Green Bay. That's a tough one. Uh, I want to say Robbie Anderson, but I, I feel like he's just like all the way canceled basically at this point. And Sam Darnold's more interested in kind of the layups and Ryan Griffin and uh, Jameson Crowder. And Demarius Thomas are providing those in spades. Uh, I guess I'll go with your, with your boy, D.D. Westbrook, uh, who had kind of been coming on. Um, 
you know, it's not Mick Foles is despite how Mimi uh, Gardner Minshew had gotten, you know, just the Mr. Meme. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't really blew playing up. Oh my now. goodness. Yeah. But he just wasn't really playing that great. The final few starts, especially, and, you know, Nick Foles, we know he's a great, I guess maybe DD, the worry could be Nick Foles just keeps going downfield to DJ shark and Chris Conley. But I think the targets will remain there for DD Westbrook where, Robbie, it's just not, it's just not happening. And Marquez Valdez Scantling, uh, when it happens, it seems to happen on two or three targets. He gets like a sixty-yard touchdown or something. Um, so I'll have to go Didi just because he's the only one with like anything resembling a target floor. From your lips to God's ears, I have a question now <laughs> from a Bears fan. What is the rest of season value for these offensive weapons in Chicago? A. Rob, Monty, Trubisky. Was he hurt? Was he not hurt? You know, A. Rob was getting a ton of targets, and he still is. But when he's covered by someone who's who's a real solid cornerback, they are just not throwing in the ball. And Monty seems to be hit or miss. What do you think about A. Rob and Monty here in the Bears' offense rest of season? Yeah, A. Rob had kind of had been producing at all costs uh, and even that so really it was against the Eagles three weeks ago where Mitchell Trubisky really bottomed out you know they kind of stopped treating him like a real quarterback and since that's happened uh, A-Rob's had two duds in three games and he was kind of hanging his hat on consistency and now that kind of seems out the window and he might be falling from kind of like mid-range wide receiver two to kind of uncertain wide receiver three and Monty, it's just—it's tough. I don't know what's going on with Monty. Uh, you know, kind of weird injury issues, and they went through like the short period of like establishing it at all costs, and now with Monty's health seemingly not perfect, and just the whole offense kind of off the rails. I think he's kind of—he had kind of graduated to every week RB two status, and I think now he'll probably be best treated again as more of a flex, like he was earlier in the season. So. Yeah, there's just not much light at the end of the tunnel for any of the Bears' weapons. No, and not an easy schedule either. Uh, let's turn to DFS time. So week 12's on the horizon, Pat. I want to win a million dollars. I promise I'll <laughs> give you a cut of it here, okay? We'll arrange something after the pod's over. Look into your crystal ball. Give me some of those gems, some of those low ownership. It's early in the week now. It's Tuesday. So I know a lot of us haven't really broken it down yet. But who are some guys you sort of have your eye on here waiting to see how the lineups you know, sort of shake out on Friday and Saturday? Let's go one at each position. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, some, one at each one that you think, you know what? They could give you 3X at a pretty low value. You want me to say Jeff Driscoll, don't you? I, I, seriously. Uh, he found a way. <laughs> you know, for the longest time, Patty had like 50 passing yards in the first half of that game. And then all of a sudden, he found a way to get there. I know. It's kind of hard not to say Jeff Driscoll, isn't it? Because a guy who kind of gives himself a floor with rushing and then it's two really it's three really big play threats if you want to include tj hawkinson uh like three pass catchers and kenny galladay and marvin jones and tj hawkinson capable of scoring you know like a 40 or 50 yard touchdown against this a truly atrocious redskins defense so it is yeah very hard i guess i guess i'll make my official answer jeff driscoll i mean why not that's fair uh, yeah sure yeah, when he's got the floor and you know, he's got that, that that ceiling potential with those pass catchers, uh, I guess you can maybe also say Ryan Tannehill. Uh, Jaguars, really nothing special against the pass anymore. He has somehow been much more aggressive. He's He's got big play threats at his disposal too. But yeah, I think the answer is probably Jeff Driscoll. That's great. Now, what about running back? Who's a guy, you know, it's hard with running backs because you want the receptions, right? I mean, that's why Ezekiel Elliott's not getting receptions. So paying up for him, in my mind, is pretty much out of the question, unless you think he's going to get a ton of touchdowns. Derrick Henry has been able to perform despite not getting a lot of receptions. But when you when you pay down, you're getting a low-value player. I think you want a guy who can sort of catch and run. Who's somebody there for running back that you are you have your eye on? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, for, sort of like low-dollar, like life hack. Like I, I, in a perfect world, I'd say Bo Scarborough on the, another lion, but he just doesn't catch passes at all. And like you said, that kind of really like limits his tournament appeal. Um, so I don't know. Basically, I guess my answer is maybe not Bo Scarborough. Uh, <laughs> maybe should we say? <laughs> are we going to go back to the Jalen Samuels? Well, it's you know, James possible. Conner doesn't play. It, it is possible. Absolutely, yeah. Because all the pass catchers are hurt. You know, playing the worst team in the league and the Bengals. I mean, Jalen. It's kind of burned us so many times. So maybe that'll make him lower owned than he should be because Jalen has kind of laid an egg in a lot of big spots. Um, Jalen probably feels right there. 
Oh, that's a great one. Now for wide receiver, I just, I'm a DeAndre Hopkins owner. So I've had him on so many of my teams and it's starting to get real frustrating here. So I just don't want to pay up for him anymore at wide receiver. Who's a guy that you think, you know, could really get some nice targets? I would say Traquan Smith, but I went to that well last week and it didn't really work out. So who's somebody you think low ownership that you think could, could sneak up there and get three X? Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, we want him to be more than a glorified Julian Edelman, don't we? Uh, uh, such a good comparison, yes. I feel like that's what we've been getting with DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, you know, for a tournament dude, maybe I'll say Darius Slayton on the Giants. Uh, I don't really know what his ownership will be, but we know he's a big play threat. He has two two touchdown games already, uh, had 14 targets uh, in the game before the Giants buy, and it's weird because the Bears overall have still – there's still not like a pass defense that you view as like attackable. But none of – it's like in the secondary, none of the individual matchups are that concerning. So I feel like Darius Slayton could definitely get free for some big plays. And I mean, if he gets even seven to eight targets, that's enough for, for Darius Slayton to kind of really kind of flirt with like dangerous upside. So, yeah, I'll say Darius Slayton. And then for tight end, you know, a, a couple guys. I've loved Dallas Goddard all year. My deep, deep, deep sort of hot take in the preseason with, was Goddard would outscore Ertz. Um, and he certainly hasn't gotten to that point, but he's had a decent year. Not a lot of yards, but he, he's getting red zone looks. Noah Fant looks like he's Brandon Allen's number one spot in Denver. Any of those guys? Ryan Griffin? You believe in Ryan Griffin? I mean, he had a huge game there. What do you think a uh, cheap tight end here for DFS on Sunday? Yeah, I think I'm believing in Ryan Griffin. Uh, just can't stop scoring. I think he's at 50 yards. Three of his past four games, and the Raiders are a very soft matchup. Uh, Goddard, like you said, is a totally legit tight end one this week. Uh, just the, the the Eagles receiver core is just basically non-existent at this point. And the Seahawks uh, haven't been in a, a matchup to fear for tight ends. Uh, I, mean, I guess I get – we, am I going back to the Steelers well? Am I going to say Vance McDonald? Uh when you got maybe the Steelers' top two receivers concussed, uh, Vance, I'm assuming, will still be very low owned because, uh, rightfully so, because he has not cleared 40 yards all year. Uh, his season high for yardage was 40 in week one. But I'm looking for like a, yeah, I guess you can't really call Vance a dart throw, but maybe Vance is like a, you know, maybe finally hitting some upside this week. Uh, I wish I could be more into Mike Jacecki as he's been great in targets and catches, not so great in yards, uh, not so great at all in touchdowns, but not, a, not a terrible matchup for Mike Jacecki. But I think, I think the guys you hit on are really kind of the, the ones you should be focusing on. Yeah, I expected Gusecki to be good when Preston Williams went down, but uh, no matter how many uh, targets you keep getting rid of and you're shoving more to him, it's just not producing. It, it incredibly no, frustrating. No, it's just not. Yeah, it is very frustrating. Well, more importantly, Pat, I'm a gin martini guy. Ned has joined a bunch of weeks ago and talks about how he hates IPAs. I'm asking <laughs> you, Friday night, Darty household, what's the drink of choice? What are you going to here as you set your winning cash and tournament lineups in DFS? Uh, and 7.5 ounce diet Dr. Pepper. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I, for some reason during the season, uh, I, do, I don't, neither weekend night I've really been drinking much this year. Kind of my drinking night, and it's a light drinking night, is going to be later tonight. Tuesday night is FIFA night with the boys. Oh, nice. Uh, I get to, I get together with three of my friends, and we do two-on-two FIFA. And it's somehow, I guess through just a con- confluence of like people's work lives and kids' lives, for whatever reason, somehow Tuesday works. I have no idea why. Um, but I play FIFA, and my drink of choice is usually – you know, every every town is like now a microbrew town, but it's like especially pronounced in St. Louis. Like the most popular beers here are kind of all local beers. Like any gas station, any grocery store, you can buy it. It's just a massive lo- – there's a few really popular local breweries in St. Louis. My favorite is probably Urban Chestnut if you're ever in St. Louis. Oh, okay. And yeah. I, I love Urban Chestnut Zwickle. Um, so, yeah, the craft beer is happening everywhere, but it's especially popular in St. Louis. And people – uh, even people you know who like aren't adventurous beer drinkers, this local beer is very, very popular in St. Louis. Excellent. 
Uh, we're going to Fantasy Football Momentum Time, which is sponsored by FFBcast. Folks, if you haven't used FFBcast this year, you have to take a look at it for next season. They have quick clips. They give you video rundowns of your fantasy league. They can live stream recordings on the Twitch channel. They display messages. They'll have experts, industry experts, come and make guest appearance on the podcast. So please check them out. Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, on Twitter at FFBcast or FFBcast.com for your league's very own custom podcast. Podcasts. Pat, let's take a look at these players. I'm curious if you think they'll keep the momentum off their Week 11 performance. We'll assume half PPR, so do you think they can keep it going? First one I mentioned, you already talked about Ryan Griffin, right? 5-109-1, and one, tight end one performance. I think in that Jets passing game, he's pretty much a tight end one option rest of the way, no? Yeah, I mean, basically, like you, you just laid it out why. Especially this week, yeah, it's got to... If we just want to focus on just this week, uh, Raiders team that's allowed the third most tight end fantasy points. So, Uriah Griffin has just been very consistent. Is getting uh, a nice targets floor and getting red zone, uh, getting red zone targets. So, what more could you really ask out of a you know a tight end you either got for nothing on the waiver wire or still is very cheap in DFS? So, I think Ryan Griffin will keep it up. You know, another Jet here, Le'Veon Bell. So he's certainly been disappointing. People were targeting him second round of drafts. 92 yards had a touchdown last week. Can he start to get it going here as the Jets offense clicks? I mean, is this, are we thinking RB2 solid for the rest of the year? Or do you think he'll sneak into that RB1 conversation? I think he's going to kind of stay in those RB2 doldrums. Just hasn't looked explosive to me. Uh, the Jets' run blocking is not very good. Uh, and again, just looking at this week in particular, I'm afraid maybe the Raiders will dominate time of possession. And uh, he'll remain a solid RB2. But especially, you know, this is the last week with teams on by. You know, next week we're going to have all 32 teams going the rest of the season. And I, I just can't see Le'Veon Bell pushing for RB1 value. Kyler Murray's been fantastic lately. Another QB1 performance, 871-1 and one on the ground. So is this somebody here that you trust for solid QB1 performances rest of the season? It is because you know, we've seen him now do it twice against you know, the best defense in his conference. Uh, and if he can have those two games for fantasy that he's had against the 49ers, I mean, what matchups are we really afraid of with Kyler Murray? And the Cardinals, It's last week they kind of took a step back with it, but have also gotten their downfield passing game going more in recent weeks. They're playing Christian Kirk outside more. Uh, Andy Isabella finally has a role. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think Kyler – it definitely had some growing pains early in the season, but I think he's over it. And yeah, I mean, hard to keep him out of the top seven or eight and usually higher uh, on a weekly basis. And last one here, wide receiver Debo Samuel. Two great weeks, eight for 134 this past week. How's Debo going to do with Jimmy G there in San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, I think great. Yeah, Second round pedigree. So you know, a guy they clearly believed in and, uh, you know, a guy who can, he's doing both. He's compiling and he's making big plays and, when you do both those in fantasy, I mean, you kind of become instantly a wide receiver too. And now, you know, he's he's doing uh, even with Emmanuel Sanders. You know, played last week, going to play this week. Uh, I, I think he the Forty ers have you know desperately needed uh, their their receivers to kind of sort out their receiver core. And Debo is fine. As Dante Pettis, you know, fades further from relevance. Uh, Kendrick Bourne keeps looking like a role player. And I think Debo, they've been wanting someone to emerge so badly. Uh, he's done that. And uh, yeah, I mean, he'll probably still be more in that wide receiver three territory. But I think this week he's kind of got wide receiver two appeal. And uh, yeah, just when you compile and can make big plays and can gain yards after the catch, uh, you're a wide receiver two in, in fantasy, in my opinion. What's the best Christmas or birthday gift you received as a kid? We've had a lot of PlayStation here. Some people have gone way back at some great stuff. So what's the best sort of birthday gift or, or holiday gift that you remember that really stands out? Well, like I, the, I have a really good memory, but like when I think back to memorable gifts, the only one I ever, ever think of is Christmas 1996 and the Nintendo N64. Oh, uh, that's it. <laughs> I was 10 years old. Uh, my family, my parents were like, Really did not want to introduce video games into our household. They'd gotten us Game Boys, me and my younger brother, but we just, I was 10, it was time to have a console. We were desperate for an N64, and we got one, and yeah, it could not have been more amazing. It's still, uh, probably, you know, I'm married and I have kids, but that is still up there with uh, the best moments in my life, yeah. <laughs> uh, getting, getting the Nintendo 64 in Christmas 1996. Excellent one. Rank these RB1s rest of season. Josh Jacobs, Derek Henry, Mark Ingram. Let's assume half PPR. 
So Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, and Mark Ingram, you said? You got um, it. Yeah, so Jacobs uh, on the Raiders there getting the volume. Henry, of course, who comes on late. We saw that last season, but isn't great in the passing game. And Ingram, of course, who's with Lamar Jackson, but he's starting to share the backfield now with Gus Edwards. Yeah, I think Jacobs is probably the clear number one. And Derrick Henry is basically running as like the souped-up Mark Ingram at this point. You know, Both of them don't have the passing the involvement in the passing game that you would like to see, but Derrick Henry's – carries floor is probably at least five to six higher than Mark Ingram's. So, and, you know, they tried to go away from Derrick Henry in the first half a few weeks ago and it spectacularly backfired. So they kind of learned their lesson there. Um, so I like all three is probably top 18 guys, but I think I'll, I'll have, I would definitely have Henry ahead of Ingram. Do you like Devin Singletary or David Montgomery better in dynasty? This was a good one from a listener. A very good one. Uh, both kind of entered the league with you know, people were skeptical of their athletic profiles. Um, but Devin Singletary has been the one who uh, has you know lived up more to his college production than like his uh, pre-draft measurables, so to speak. And uh, been a very explosive on a per play basis where Devin Montgomery so far has, you know, the, the comparison for him is always Kareem Hunt. People hoping he'd be greater than the sum of his parts as an athlete and, that has not been the case so far with David Montgomery. So I think I think you have to say we've you like what you've seen from Devin Singletary more than David Montgomery so far, and definitely who I prefer to have in Dynasty. Let's do a little Week 12 lightning round. So pick the player you think will have a bigger Week 12 performance. Again, assume half PPR is just easier. Better running back smash spot, Derek Henry at Jacksonville or Alvin Kamara versus the Panthers? It's so hard not to say Derrick Henry. The Jags have been oh, so been bad awful. against the run. Ugh. Yeah, but the Panthers have not been good against the run either. And Alvin Kamara coming off the game that he kind of this had like, seems on the verge of really exploding. And it's at home. The Saints versus the divisional opponent. I think I probably just Alvin Kamara too. Just says he has more more avenues to meet his ceiling than Derrick Henry does. You know, Derrick Henry kind of needs like a 60 or 70 yard touchdown basically to have which he does fairly frequently of course but he kind of needs that to have his ceiling day whereas Alvin Kamara can do it in a variety of ways so they're both great smash spots but I think I prefer uh, Alvin Kamara's better road running back Philip Lindsay who got about 63 percent of the touches last week so he may be moving ahead of Royce Freeman but it's still a timeshare at Buffalo or Ronald Jones dare I say Ronald Jones at Atlanta I think we, yeah, I think we got to go Philip Lindsay because you know they, they had the rumored greatest greater commitment. They kind of followed through on it. Bills more vulnerable on the ground than through the air. And you know, Ronald Jones, you know, coming off uh, you know mysterious game and the, the Falcons, you know, suddenly being the eighty-five Bears on defense. Uh, yeah, still a very odd develop. One of my favorite weird developments in a long time is a uh, you know I know they changed defensive play callers, but that shouldn't make this big of a difference. Um, so yeah, I, I like the setup better for Philip Lindsay than I do for Ronald Jones. QB question: Jimmy G at home versus Green Bay Sunday Night Football, or Tom Brady with a struggling offense at home against the Cowboys? Man, this is going to be a tough one in the ranking. I don't, I don't. Hopefully, what I say here ends up matching what I do on the rankings. Uh, oh, you uh, never know. New, new information comes out. You, you totally have the alibi here, Pat. Because I think my initial ranks, I have Brady ahead, but gotta. I feel like you got to say Jimmy at home. The, the Packers kind of every week seem to get exposed as more of a fraud against the pass. Um, Brady, I mean, Brady is getting his left tackle back, but Brady is having his worst. Like almost like this is almost like a pre Randy Moss Brady we've been seeing this season, and this, the explosiveness has not been there. And on pace for only twenty two touchdowns, and you know, so he's failing the box score by his standards. And he was definitely looking older via the eye test. And the Cowboys have been pretty tough against the pass, uh, so I guess I'll go Jimmy. And last one, better tight end play: Zach Ertz against Seattle or Darren Waller at the Jets. You're not afraid of either spot, but I, basically, uh, we're back to uh, we're back to where we were in 2018 with Zach Ertz, where the Eagles have no reliable receivers to throw to. He's back to back what nine catch 90 yard performances, and even with Dallas Dallas Goddard emerging, I see very little reason for, uh, for, for Zach Ertz's for outlook to change. And uh, yeah, we're just back to you know, we everyone Zach Ertz was a very rightfully so, a popular regression candidate this year. And he he was regressing for a while. 
but now that everyone's hurt, uh, he's, yeah, we're back to where we started with Zach Ertz. And uh, Zach Ertz is going to be a top two or three guy probably more weeks than not down the stretch. Yeah, I totally agree. What's the best sporting event you've ever attended live in person? Uh, the Florida Mizzou game last Saturday? Uh, question oh, mark. Oh. Uh, no, <laughs> no, that was not it. And especially, this is for the real college football heads out there, especially not the Mizzou-Kentucky game I attended last year. Oh, uh, oh, hopefully wow. no one else knows about that game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, the most exotic I've ever been to is probably, I've been to a Manchester United game. Uh, most exotic I want to go to would be Wimbledon. Uh, but the best I've ever been to was at the clinching game. I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. I was at the clinching game of the 2006 World Series. Uh, the crowd stood uh, from before the first pitch to through the end of the game, never once sat down, electric atmosphere, got to see my favorite team clinch a title. Uh, so that would definitely, definitely be it. Oh, that's a fantastic one. Uh, Pat, one more question. You've been amazing here, and then we'll get you out of here. Looking forward to next year in Dynasty. So there's a lot of players, your OBJ, uh, Devontae Adams to a certain extent, Juju Smith-Schuster, Joe Mixon we talked about who bombed this year. Who's that veteran player, early round player, first or second round, that maybe really bonked this year that you think someone who's going for a dynasty title, may we be willing to give up for some you know combination of picks and you think it would be worth a steal? Sort of a first or second round veteran guy who really bombed it and you think could really turn it around here with a new setting next year. I mean, I think it almost has to be Juju Smith-Schuster, doesn't it? Uh, as of this recording, he's still only 22 years old. I just looked it up. He actually does turn 23 later this week. So he's about to be an old man later this week. But th- with the start, his career got off to. And, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, I think, will be back. And I'm assuming Ben Roethlisberger will probably still be good. Uh, yeah, if it's not Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, they're going to up- upgrade on Mason Rudolph here in the next year or two. Uh, just, so... The things he's done at his age, uh, I'm still all aboard on Juju Smith-Schuster. And, yeah, he's like he's like the text. He's like a lab-created dynasty by-low, basically. Yeah, that's fair enough. Folks, Patrick Darty, NFL writer, Roto World, NBC Sports, one of the top guys in the business, must follow on Twitter at RotoPat. You can shoot him any question you want, sit back, follow his tweets, and just laugh all day long. Philip Rivers and him are boys. They're connected. Pat, <laughs> awesome job, man. Covered a ton of information, and we appreciate you giving us some minutes. I know you're about to get into your, your prep here for the whole week, so really appreciate a few minutes here on the mailbag. No, absolutely my pleasure. Uh, anytime, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag of Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcasts. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.